Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. Two weeks ago we had Daniel Zuch with us preaching about the good news. As Daniel visits us again this Sunday, we will take a look at John 21, a passage after Jesus' resurrection, where he instructed the disciples how to fish and had breakfast with them, and later on reinstated Peter, who has denied him before. Join us for this sermon to learn more about the lessons from this passage for our own lives. And now, this is Daniel. It's strange being up here. I feel like I should be down there, but then I mess up the cameras. <laughs> Hello to the people watching via streaming. Uh, and it's uh, wonderful to be able to be with you again to bring the Word of God. And um, one of the things that my wife Rachel and I love to do, we love to take vacation in places where it's hot. We love to swim. Now, we've been up to Sweden, and we loved it in Sweden. We were up there and everything. But even when we were there, it was cold, and it's not always cold in Sweden, I, I know. But when we have the opportunity to take a holiday, to go on vacation, we almost always want to go someplace where there's a beach. We love the beach. And our text today, from John chapter 21 takes place on a beach. Now, the setting here, the, the situation here was not vacation. It was not holiday. It was actually a work setting. The apostles, the disciples were wrestling with the uh, wonderful reality that Jesus had been raised from the dead and he had shown himself to be alive already. For, for 40 days, he showed that he was alive. Luke tells us with many undeniable truths, proofs. And... The disciples, the apostles, their life had to move forward. Uh, and they were at work. Now, some would want to say, well, they went back to work as fishermen because they were just discouraged. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. I think they just had to earn a living. And the way the fishermen earn their living by going fishing. So I think they're out working, and one day, when they're out working, when they're out fishing, something really, really important happens. And that's described for us in John chapter 21. John, the Gospel of John chapter 21. And I, I would like to, to read through verse 23. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Dudamus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. 
Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat and you will find some. (coughs) Excuse me. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples whom Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the full, towing the net full of fish for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Breakfast was prepared. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he had been raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of, Pete, uh, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciples whom, the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus on the, uh, at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? 
Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the, among the brothers that the disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Let me pray right now for us. Father, uh, we have just read your word and we ask, Spirit of God, for your guidance as we uh, interact with it, as we uh, apply it to our individual lives. And we thank you for your grace to help us now. And we ask you that it will bring uh, change in our lives and in this church fellowship. Thank you that your word is truth. Sanctify us through your truth. Amen. Wow. Breakfast on the beach. Now, when we read this about the catch of fish, okay, this huge catch of fish, uh, the readers, the original readers of this probably say, hey, that happened before. And that's indeed the case at the beginning of Luke chapter 4, and beginning of Luke in chapter 4, a very, very similar situation occurred where they were out all night fishing, which was the standard way of fishing. Okay, they fished at night all through the night. They hadn't caught anything. And as they came in, Jesus was there. And he said, throw the nets out on the other side. And they did. And there was so much fish that they weren't able to just pull it in like they normally would. They, they had to work together. I don't know how many of you have seen The Chosen. Okay, the, the series The Chosen on, on, uh, on, in the internet or on TV and stuff. They do a fantastic job, by the way, I think, of bringing out a lot of the cultural and interpersonal aspects of the realities back then. But they, they, in the first season, they show that scene from, uh, from Luke chapter 4. And it's like a deja vu experience for them now. They're out. They're excited that Jesus has been raised from the dead. There were two times that he appeared to whole groups of people. There were a number of individuals that he had shown that he had met with, and it seems like Peter was already one of those that had met the risen Jesus. Paul tells us in First Corinthians fifteen that uh, that that he the risen Jesus met with Peter, and it was probably before this incident here. We don't know for sure, but it was probably before this incident here. And they're wrestling with this reality. What does this really mean that the, that the Lord Jesus Christ died, was buried, rose physically, bodily from the dead? And what are the implications for us? What's this mean for us? And I think Jesus, in this incident, 
is making it really, really clear what all this is all about. Um, they have breakfast on the beach. Jesus had prepared the fish. He got some of the fish that they had just caught and put it on the grill. On the, on the grill, they're sitting there, uh, tired, exhausted from a hard night at work. Uh, probably because they had the chance to eat something. Uh, they were starting to get really sleepy. And then in verse 15, Jesus begins a conversation with Peter, with all the others that are there. Verse 15 again. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Now, there's debate as to what more than these, whether Jesus there meant more than this fishing business. Do you love me more than these fish? Or is he saying, do you love me more than these other followers of me? Back and forth, it could be either one. Um, but he asked him specifically the question, do you love me more than these? And, and Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. He says, okay, if you love me, take action. Show it by serving my followers. The word that Jesus uses here, do you love me, in the first two times he asked the question is, is the Greek word agapao, which is agape love. Um, and then when he goes to the third time, he switches it to phileo, which is like a brotherly love. Now, some people make a real big deal out of that and say, okay, Jesus switched from agape to phileo and he was reducing the type of love and Peter just would have to admit that it was a lesser type of love. That understanding, I don't think, is accurate because there are places where God is described as loving with a phileo love with a love that's a brotherly type love as well. I think the issue here, and the thing that really gets at Peter, it says Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. Again, Jesus again Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, it says that Peter was hurt 
by the question that Jesus asked him. He asked him three times, do you love me? Why do you think it might be significant that he asked him three times? Why do you think that Peter was hurt, disturbed, frustrated by that question that Jesus asked him? Exactly. Peter had denied the Lord three times. Now, if it is true that Peter had met the Lord Jesus individually before this incident, um, can imagine that that was a very intense conversation. And in this incident, in this particular scene here with the other disciples, Jesus is working further in the life of Peter and the disciples to further prepare them for the time when he would ascend to the Father and they would continue the work of the, of the gospel of the kingdom in word and in deed. And in order for Peter and the others to be ready to continue Jesus' ministry of the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom, it was absolutely essential that Peter come clean with the reality of what he had done and not only experience forgiveness, but also restoration for what he had done. And I think that's what, what, what's happening here. Jesus knew very well that Peter had failed miserably. And he had failed after he was very vocal. You know, Lord, when all the others leave you, not me, Lord, I'm going to stay with you to the end. And then a little girl had asked him, you look familiar. Do you know him? He said, I don't know him. Three times. And it is so important. It was so important for them to confront the reality of failure in their lives. So that they could be changed. Not just forgiven. But they could be transformed. And move on. And be the ministers of God as the body of Christ that they were going to be after the ascension and after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit would be given. Jesus' breakfast on the beach was an opportunity to deal with failure. And it's very interesting how Jesus responds, responded to failure in the life of Peter. He provided a safe place. He provided himself. He provided fellowship and safety 
in order to deal with failure in his life and to move through that and learn from it and be equipped for what they were called to do. Now, I don't know any of you really that well. A few I know better than others. My guess is is that all of you have failure in your life. What do you do when you fail and when you fail miserably? What are the patterns or the habits of your hearts of how you deal with failure? How do you respond to other people, perhaps in your church fellowship, who have failed miserably? Jesus' pattern, okay, his way of dealing with failure is to provide safety, a safe place, and offer fellowship so that that failure can be dealt with. You know, when you compare what happened with Judas and Peter, in reality, there's not a whole lot of difference as to what they did. And in some ways, I, I think when I read through uh, Judas and, uh, and Peter, I think in some ways Peter's uh, denial and his failure was even worse than Judas's in some ways. Very, very similar what happened. But what was the difference? Peter was willing to be confronted with the reality of his failure and he brought that failure to Jesus and he experienced forgiveness he experienced restoration he experienced the joy of knowing yes I have failed but praise God for the grace of God Judas didn't do that. Judas did not come to Jesus with his failure. He went to the religious leaders. He threw the money back to them. And he went down in a a vicious cycle that ended up in suicide. For some reason, Judas was not willing to come to Jesus with his failure. He wanted, he kept it in himself and it destroyed him. Let me ask you, do you have failure in your life? Are you bringing it to Jesus? Now, one of the tendencies that people have is to keep blaming other people for the failure. Keep pushing the the guilt or the, uh, the shame off on other people and never look at the reality of failure in their own life in their eyes before God. Jesus provides an opportunity for Peter in the midst of all this 
to deal with that failure. To experience restoration and transformation. Peter, do you love me? He asked him three times, do you love me? And Peter ends up saying, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Demonstrate it through your actions. And I'm going to help you do that. And when we read further in the book of Acts about the continuation of Jesus' ministry through the apostles and through the church, and when we read the the letters that Peter wrote and everything, we see that that is exactly what happens. This breakfast on the beach provided the opportunity to wrestle with the deepest heart issues that anybody could ever have. Do we love Jesus? Did they love Jesus? More than anybody else. Was Jesus priority number one for them in their lives? And was that priority something that was so high. That we would do anything. That Jesus asked of us. Out of love for him. The other thing, the other lesson that I think has come out of this is that this breakfast on the beach with the risen Lord Jesus provided a purpose for living and for dying. Serving Jesus as a shepherd or apostle was Peter's calling. Now, not all of us are called to be apostles, certainly not like the original apostles. But every one of us who are followers of, followers of Jesus can know that we have a purpose and calling in life. And out of this fellowship with Jesus, out of this safety that Jesus provides for us, We can learn and we can experience God's direction and purpose for us so that we say we have a reason for living and we have not just a reason for living, we have something that's so worth it that even if we die because of this, it's worth it. Now, for us in the, let's say, in the Western Christian evangelical world, <coughs> excuse me, um, that's not such a, uh, that, that's really hard to wrestle with, being willing to die. But um, perhaps maybe some of you who come out of other cultures where the cost is really, really high of following Jesus and serving him, that resonates a lot more with you. I know a number of people that were from a Muslim background who became followers of Jesus. I have colleagues in our mission that work 
with uh, Muslim people. And it is so palpable. It is so real, uh, real, German. <laughs> it's, it's so much reality that when they make the decision to follow Jesus and to live for him, that is very likely, ultimately, a death sentence. And they follow him. And Jesus talks about that in, in John 21. He said, Jesus said, to, said this, verse 19, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. He makes it really clear that Peter, and he follows it up right after that, and he says, follow me. Now, if Jesus were to appear to you this afternoon and say, uh, Peter um, or Daniel, or if he were to say to me, Daniel, uh, you're going to die in five years because somebody's going to kill you. And he would ask or say, come follow me. Would I be willing to say yes to that? Peter was. He was experiencing the reality of being freed to follow Jesus by, re, by dealing with the reality of failure in his own life that he brought to Jesus. And he experienced forgiveness, but he also experienced transformation and restoration and he was freed to serve other people through that what is your chief reason main reason for living what would you be willing to even die for In the Westminster Confession, a doctrinal statement from, from the Reformed Church, it says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I think that's a pretty good summary of what the, uh, what the purpose in life is. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That doesn't tell the whole story, but it really captures a lot of what it's all about. Jesus' whole ministry to his disciples was to disciple them. Imagine that. Jesus was making disciples who would then go out and make disciples. Make other followers. And what did he say to those disciples? Go, therefore, and make disciples. Baptize them. Teach them. And the, the, the main job of the church of Jesus Christ is to be disciples and make disciples who make disciples. 
It's not about having worship services in a great program, although that can be a, a help in making disciples, and it's important. Worship is important. But the main task of the church of Jesus Christ is to be and make disciples and equip other people to make disciples. Now, I'm a missionary, and I am a, a church planter, and that's a designation that we have for uh, in missions for people who start churches. But Jesus nowhere says, go plant churches. There's nowhere where he says, go start churches. He says, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, And he says, uh, you go make disciples. And out of disciples being made and multiplied, church fellowships are going to be started. They're going to be gathered. And so the question that Peter and those that were there on the beach having breakfast with Jesus was... uh, Okay, how does this move forward, Lord? And through what he said to Peter, through what was probably heard by the others, likely heard by the others in that conversation on the beach, they learned that this kingdom good news was going to go further through the making of disciples who make disciples. So how is that with you? Are you a follower of Jesus? Are you a disciple? A follower? A follower is an apprentice of Jesus. A lehrling. A person who is learning to be like Jesus and learning to do the things that Jesus did. How about your church? I mean, the church that you're thinking about uh, getting together with possibly is called B1. That from be a disciple. That's where Christian Pano, where that comes from. Be a disciple. Be one, make one. Are you ready to take on that challenge in trust with Jesus to actively follow Jesus and invest yourself in others? in order to make them disciples? A big mistake that's made in the evangelical world is thinking, well, that's for the, the full-time professional Christians. That's for the pastors to do. Uh-uh. The pastors and the leaders, the elders, are there to equip the body to make disciples who make disciples. It is not the job of the leadership alone to do that. So I want to ask you, if you were on the beach with Jesus and he has prepared a safe place, a place where you know that there is acceptance by him and love, what question would he ask you? Do you have an idea? 
What would be the question that he would want to focus on to help you focus on the reality of what he wanted to do and of failure in your life? Whatever that is, I want to encourage you to take that seriously and take time today to be before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm on the beach having breakfast with you and you just ask me the question, I want to hear, I want to follow, I want to obey. In closing, I'd like for us to watch a short video that is about being a follower of Jesus, okay? It's about what discipleship is all about. And I won't say anything further. I'll step down right now and allow God to speak to you through this video. To be a disciple means we're learning to be like Jesus, growing in his character while learning to do the things he could do, developing his competencies. It's about character and competency. To do this, we increasingly pattern our life after the life of Jesus. So one of the questions we have to ask is how Jesus would pattern his life if he had your job, if he had your personality type, your family situation, lived where you lived, or made the same amount of money that you make. When we examine the life of Jesus in the Gospels, what we see emerge is a particular way of relating to the world around him. He is very intentional in how he used his time to invest in certain kinds of relationships. It's the pattern of his whole life and ministry. Put another way, Jesus had three great loves that his entire life oriented around. In Mark 9, 2 through 29, we see Jesus go up a mountain to pray. But this wasn't abnormal for Jesus, was it? Throughout his life, he was constantly getting away from the crowds and everyone else to spend time with his first love, attending to the upward dimension of his life, his relationship with his Father. We then see him come down the mountain and run straight into the people he's investing his life into, his disciples. Jesus was never ambiguous about who his spiritual family was. In attending to the inward dimension of his life, Jesus spent more than 50% of his time with just his spiritual family and no one else. But then, he steps out into the full brokenness of the world, driving out an evil spirit from a troubled boy. Jesus attends to the outward dimension by dealing with sin head on. He's concerned with how sin affects individuals how each person is separated from God because of their sin and doomed because of it. And he's concerned that when you get a bunch of sinful people together, they create systems of sin and injustice. Sin creates individual problems and communal problems. Jesus stepped out and brought hope to both. Three great loves. He was deeply connected to his father. He was constantly investing in those his father had given him to disciple and to be spiritual family with. And he entered into the brokenness of the world with good news and asked for a response individually and communally. To be disciples of Jesus, we pattern our life in the same way that Jesus did, up 
in and out. Most people are naturally good at one. They're okay at a second, and they're fairly bad at a third. But rather than simply playing to our strengths, we commit to be learners. The invitation of Jesus is to pattern our life after his, to learn his ways, and to let his power be made perfect in our weakness. But we also recognize that because a collection of Christians is the body of Jesus, we want the full expression of Jesus, not just parts of it, so that these three dimensions saturate community life as well. Whether it's a group of eight people or a group of 8,000, when a group of people is committed to truly being the body of Jesus, the Holy Spirit begins stoking the fires of a red-hot center by which people can't help but be drawn into the warmth of. When we have a spiritual family learning to live into up, in, and out in a communal way, people the Lord has prepared can't help but be drawn in because this community is the gospel made visible. Thank you.